Okanagan residents devastated by wildfires. I lost everything. Like, I lost everything. Why she blames provincial leadership for the scope of the destruction. Road rage. I am absolutely disgusted that we still don't have any support from the province. Detour drivers bring gridlock to Princeton, a problem the mayor says could have been prevented. And flying a new flag. I thought, there, that ought to start a discussion. And that's what I'm after is a discussion. The redesign getting a lot of attention and how you might actually see it on a flagpole soon. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We are getting our first look tonight at the devastation left behind by the White Rock Lake fire. It's burning northwest of Vernon, including through a neighborhood of Okanagan Lakefront homes. Our Imadagahi is live near Vernon tonight with the stories of evacuees who've just been told they have nothing to return to. Imad. Yeah, Chris, there's a lot of anxiety today amongst people who have been evacuated from the area behind us along the west side road. Many people just do not know for sure if the homes they've left behind are still standing. And once word does arrive, unfortunately for some, it's not what they wanted to hear. Oh, this is emergency services. I need to take it. After two weeks evacuated and living in a hotel, on Tuesday, confirmation of the worst news. Your property was... Uh, like I lost everything. Jennifer Carlson, now one of the latest British Columbians victimized by the destructive forest fire season. The firefighters are doing everything they can, and where's our government and our prime minister? This is the result of a desperate firefight. After flames jumped containment Sunday night, quickly spreading south and east, more than 80 properties have been destroyed along West Side Road. Now from the water uh, here at Okanagan Lake, you can really have a close look at some of the devastation left behind by the White Rock Lake fire here in Killiney Beach in the Ewing Landing area. There are still smoke rising from the ground here. These homes have been reduced to rubble. There is a a dock that has been burned and separated from the shore of burnt vehicles. And then there are some homes that are still left standing with sprinklers on the roof, still spraying water. This is a very hard scene to look at. Also among the losses, a beloved local business confirmed by the Okanagan Indian Band. With the White Rock Lake fire still burning on the hills, There are fears the toll on these communities will continue to rise as crews discover more affected areas in the coming days. It's really important that those areas are safe for our crews as they go to do this type of assessment. When we have the opportunity, we will be sending a crew back in to do um, those areas that we weren't able to do uh, yesterday afternoon. While devastated families wait for an opportunity to see what's happened in person, There are still many who do not know the fate of their homes, helplessly standing by for a phone call. It's just the fear of the unknown, you know, it's scary. So yeah, we're all in the same boat together, but yeah, when's normal life gonna resume? We don't know. Oh, Ahmad, your your heart just breaks for people like Catherine and Jennifer. What's next for them? And and when are they gonna find out more about uh, when they can go home? 
Yeah, there's a lot of concern for people in that situation. I just can't begin to imagine what the next few months will look like for her. Where do they uh, live? Where do their kids go to school? Above all, how and when can they rebuild? The regional district told her on the phone that there may be a tour organized for those residents that may offer some closure, but we don't even know when that could be because the fire is still active behind us, Chris. Long road ahead. Okay, thanks, Ahmad. Mm -hmm. The evacuation order and alert for areas related to the Mount Law wildfire in West Kelowna have been reduced to allow most residents to return to their properties. Global's Claudia Van Emmerich has more on the progress made on that fire and the threat that remains. As the assault on the Mount Law wildfire near West Kelowna continues from the air, on the ground, anxious evacuees wait and hope to at least get into their homes to retrieve some of their belongings. We have just a whole bunch of things that got left behind, like insured vehicles um, and uh, just clothes and sentimentals. The fast-moving fire prompting the evacuation of more than 460 properties Sunday evening. Flames coming perilously close to some of them, including the home of Tyler Woods. This is a photo he took from his property just moments before he fled, showing the proximity of the blaze. We're certain that it was going to burn down. Yeah, but it hasn't yet, so... Late Tuesday afternoon, emergency officials confirming that one family home was destroyed in the fire... As for the ongoing firefight, nearly 50 structural firefighters are working on the fire, along with resources from the BC Wildfire Service. Mother Nature also lending a helping hand with cooler conditions. The fire is more active uh, on the opposite side, uh, near Highway 97C today, than it, than it is on the West Kelowna side. Um, there is still a lot of fire burning uh, in the, the high area. West Kelowna's fire chief warns there's still a lot of work to be done. As we fly over and look, there, there's still um, numerous kind of campfire-sized hotspots. The terrifying fire and ordeal leaving many with a new perspective on life. You're like, wow, like we could lose essentially everything, right? So it's, uh, yeah, we're really hopeful and excited that... Uh, and we're going to be, you know, really grateful for the opportunity to be able to have our lives the way that they were. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, West Kelowna. A one-two punch of natural disasters has made travel between the Lower Mainland and the interior a problem, especially for one small community. Highway 1 is still shut down between Hope and Cache Creek due to a mudslide near Lytton. And it will stay that way for the time being. The Transportation Ministry says there's no estimate for when it might reopen. The good news is the Coquihalla Highway, which was closed by wildfires, is now reopened, but only to essential traffic. No access to facilities or washrooms, no stopping allowed, and no access to on- and off-ramps. While both highways were closed, all traffic bound for the southern interior was diverted to Highway 3 through Princeton, which has the mayor of Princeton asking why the province isn't helping with his newfound traffic nightmare. Global's Grace Key joins us live from there with more on the story. Grace. Yeah, we're just in hope, and this is the start of the closure for Highway 1. And it is certainly shutdowns like this that have some in the smaller communities concerned. I am absolutely disgusted that we still don't have any support from the province on traffic control. Princeton Mayor Spencer Coyne is mad, and on Monday he posted his frustrations on social media. It's time that the province steps up and helps us. When they close highways in other areas and send them all through our little town on our little roads, 
They need to be here to help. Oh my Coquihalla Highway was shut down Sunday night between Hope and Merritt because of the wildfires forcing traffic on highways 5A and 3 right through Princeton. Oh man. The situation should be getting better. By midday, the Coquihalla was back open to essential travel only. There's no access to on and off ramps and no facilities available. Also affecting traffic, late Monday night, a mudslide in Lytton shut down Highway 1 between Hope and Cache Creek. In Hope, drivers delayed by the detours say this could be the new norm. The fires keep happening. We just, we just have to put up with it like we have snow in the in the mountain passes and we have to chain up or we have to put winter tires on. We just have to expect delays and closures and just deal with it. With a devastating fire season, this may not be the last of highway closures and Princeton's mayor wants a better response. This is a joke. An absolute joke. Somebody's going to get seriously hurt. Now, the province saying there was also some paving that was going on in the area that they think helped contribute to the uh, problems in Princeton. Uh, Princeton, some uh, traffic control people were rerouted to that area as well. As for Highway 1, now they are letting some local traffic through and they should be having an update sometime tomorrow morning. Chris? All right, we'll watch for that. Grace Key reporting in Hope tonight. Thanks, Grace. And more questions tonight about why the provincial government isn't imposing mandatory travel restrictions into the fire-ravaged interior. The government has only issued an advisory, and as Richard Zussman reports, that's putting people with vacation bookings in a difficult position. With the fire season putting pressure on roads and communities, the message from the province is this. Now is not the time to be traveling uh, to, the, uh, to the Okanagan or to, uh, to Kamloops uh, with the current fire situation. And in the province's mind, anywhere impacted by fire is a no-go for tourists. And this year, that covers pretty much the entire Okanagan. But they won't be putting in any formal orders or stopping travelers. We are not looking at uh, road checks uh, such as we had uh, during uh, COVID on the uh, travel restrictions. No orders, no enforcement, means it's left to travelers to decide. Some families are contemplating cancelling, but are told they won't get refunds for the thousands of dollars they have spent on accommodations. You know, if it's to, to cancel, um, but there haven't been orders in place, then there's a lot of second guessing that goes into it. So, yes, I think it would be really helpful um, if the province could clear up some of that ambiguity. On one hand, communities need the tourism dollars. On the other hand, there is concern the fire evacuees may need both the rooms and highways tourists are filling up. The hope from travelers is an actual order, which would force the hand of operators like Kelowna Resorts Accommodations, who are not changing their cancellation policy. If the BC government is really concerned about the economic well-being of these companies, then they should step in and they should be offering them some comp compensation. I think you're going to find places like that are going to lose business over the long term, as opposed to those who've been working really cooperatively, such as the Hotel Association. And government is still considering additional support, especially for those businesses and hotels that, when asked, change their cancellation policy. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. COVID-related hospitalizations are going up again in this province. We have 501 new cases with nearly 5,300 active cases. 111 people are in hospital. That's up seven. 51 are in the ICU. That's up four. 
One more person has died from complications of the virus. And now 73.5% of British Columbians aged 12 and older are fully immunized. Keith Baldry joins us with more on the latest numbers and a closer look at the new cases and who is actually getting sick, Keith. Yeah, there's been a bit of a shift in the demographics of who's getting COVID-19. Basically, again, people want to know, are they vaccinated? No. 95% of the cases every day are in people who are not fully vaccinated. We're going to get an update on that statistic a week from today, but right now that number hasn't changed. But look at the age groups. This has changed. So again, you've got the younger age group, 0 to 19, uh, 20% of the cases. That's up a little bit than the previous months. But where the big growth is, is that middle bulge there, 20 to 39-year-olds. Now 53% of the cases over that 14 plus case number over the weekend. And that just reflects the trend we've been seeing for weeks. And the people over 40, uh, the number there, 27%, usually for up until a few weeks ago, uh, more than 40%. Why is this happening? People in their 20s and 30s have lower vaccination rates than people over the age of 40. So people over the age of 40 have very high vaccination rates, which is why we're seeing their numbers decline. But we're still trying to get the first and second doses in the arms of 20-year-olds in particular, and that's proving to be an elusive goal. So look for this, uh, these numbers to continue for some time. 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds are more social, they're gathering more, and they're doing so in unvaccinated situations, which means our numbers at 500 a day right now are going to continue at that high level for some time. Well, it's walk-in Wednesday tomorrow, so hopefully we'll see mm-hmm. a few more shots Hope getting so. into arms. Thanks for that, Keith. It was a cold-blooded murder with many witnesses, yet it's still unsolved. The family of a man stabbed to death in Whistler is appealing for those who saw it to come forward. That's next on the News Hour. Teens take on climate change with a big bank in their sights. Why they say TD should do better, coming up on the News Hour. And the end of an epic journey to wipe out childhood cancer is how a pair of adventurers raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right now, though, the family of a 26-year-old man stabbed to death in Whistler is appealing for witnesses to come forward. Henry Stanley Garcia Molina was stabbed early Saturday morning in Whistler Village. His family says he was simply waiting for a taxi when he was killed. Investigators say they have identified several persons of interest and believe there are multiple people involved in the murder. Police say they are also aware of several witnesses that have yet to speak with investigators. Our information is that it it occurred just outside the restaurant, which would be in view of many of the hotels that are around. At this time, we're appealing to anyone who was staying in any of those hotels who may have had their window open just to crack at night and, and could have heard anything that happened. Any small thing that they may have heard between that time of around 1.45, 2 a.m. could be very helpful to us. Anyone who looked out their window and saw a group of people outside there, we ask that you please contact the IHIT information line and reach out to us. A suspect and a Vancouver police officer have been hospitalized after a violent incident and police-involved shooting. It happened around 5.30 this morning at a building at Granville Street and Drake. Police were responding to a report of a man refusing to leave. A physical altercation broke out and shots were fired. The 25-year-old man suffered non-life-threatening injuries. The officer also required medical treatment. The Vancouver Police Major Crime Unit and the IIO are now investigating. Well, the new Surrey Police Service is aiming to have boots on the ground in just a few months. But today, a petition was launched with the goal of forcing a referendum asking citizens to choose between the RCMP and a municipal force. It's being led by two women who have lost innocent loved ones to gang violence and still support the RCMP. Ramina Dea reports. 
Debbie Johnstone, the first to sign the petition. I'll be on everybody's doorstep. The Surrey resident, one of roughly 300 canvassers being deployed across the province. The group Surrey Police Vote has 90 days to collect signatures from 10% of eligible voters across BC. That's more than 300,000 signatures. The goal? to trigger a binding referendum on who should police Surrey, the existing RCMP or the newly proposed Surrey Police Service. The people of Surrey deserve to have a voice in this. They deserve to have the facts and they deserve to make an informed decision. Darlene Bennett and Eileen Mohan, two powerful voices leading the campaign. Mohan's 22-year-old son, Christopher, a student, was shot in the head, an innocent victim in the Surrey 6 gangland slaughter of 2007. Bennett's husband, an operating room nurse, was shot in his driveway in Cloverdale three years ago in a case of mistaken identity. You know, your safety is paramount. Don't take it for granted. Um, you know, I, I don't want another family to go through what Eileen and I have gone through. It, it is life-changing and gut-wrenching, and people deserve better. And I don't think this change is going to make life better. Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum tells Global News his platform in the last municipal election was abundantly clear. Council made a promise to switch to a local police force and they're making good on that promise. Only about 15% voted for the present mayor and his council, so therefore he doesn't have a mandate. This change is going to cost the Surrey residents an awful lot of money. The public safety minister says local government is responsible for policing, not the province. This is a, a municipal decision. The contract is very clear, uh, as is the police act. But supporters of a referendum say the province does have the power to order a vote. The group has until November 15th to collect enough signatures. The new local Surrey Police Service already has a chief and plans on having officers hit the ground by the end of November. Romina Dea, Global News. And just ahead, just when it seemed all hope was lost, the Lady Rose is saved. We were absolutely thrilled when we heard the news. How this vital link for remote communities on Vancouver Island was rescued. Also, one man's unintentional mistake booking travel online and the nightmare adventure that only ended when he called Consumer Matters. Police are on scene to a four-car crash here in Burnaby, eastbound on Highway 1, just past Kensington in the HOV lane. Traffic is heavily backed up from Willingdon on the approach. From home to car insurance, BCAA local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 in Burnaby. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. Just weeks before it was to be taken out of service forever, a deal has been reached to save the Lady Rose Ferry on Vancouver Island's outer coast. The business was hit hard by the pandemic, forcing the current owners to call it quits. But as Kylie Stanton reports, a new owner has now stepped in, promising smooth sailing going forward. <laughs> With just one firm handshake, an entire region of BC's west coast is breathing a sigh of relief. So we're very, very happy 
and totally excited about what's coming and what's going to happen. One week after Lady Rose Marine Services announced it could no longer stay afloat, the company has been thrown a life ring. I just couldn't stand to see the, the service end. I just couldn't imagine what would happen if it did. For the past 75 years, it's been a lifeline for remote communities up and down the Alberni Inlet. Where everything from freight to groceries, even vehicles, are delivered on a regular basis. As news of the impending closure spread through the region, the value couldn't be ignored. And Devon Transport Limited quickly made an offer. It's probably the best thing that could have happened, to be honest with you. Um, it just goes to show you this is a, a much-needed service. While things were in limbo, the uncertainty was palpable. People were concerned, they were worried, they were starting to think about alternatives and different solutions. Making sure that we, you know, have our, our mail come out, uh, we have our waste picked up, uh, we have the ability for our citizens to, to have access and transportation in and out of our territory were all very critical things. It put everything into perspective. And now, knowing the Lady Rose Marine Services will continue on, business as usual, it won't be taken for granted. We are um, just elated that they are able to keep that going and that they don't have to risk any, any interruption to that service. We're going to head into Haggard's Cove tomorrow. Devon Transport Limited would not disclose the financial details of the deal just yet, but assures those reliant on the service it will be a seamless transition. Sorrell will be staying on in a general manager capacity, backed by the rest of his team. There will still be three sailings a day, and it shouldn't change right through the winter and on into the future. Callie Stanton, Global News. Well, when it comes to online booking for a trip, you need to double-check all of your information before you click. A Vancouver man ran into trouble after booking a hotel for a short Vancouver Island getaway he knew immediately, but let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrew with the details here, Ann. Thanks, Chris. Many of us have been there, we're online, about to check out, and we accidentally make a mistake. Well, that's what happened to Ken McLean when he reserved his accommodation on a third-party travel site. Even after he purchased the extra cancellation insurance, he was out of luck and came to us for help. We did some whale watching. Uh, we saw some places in Victoria. There's the tea house, the Empress. Like so many people, Ken McLean wanted to escape the stress of the pandemic, deciding to plan a short vacation to Vancouver Island with his partner. Looking forward to our special time together to do a celebration. On June 21st, Ken booked a Victoria hotel through Expedia for the dates of August 3rd to August 7th. The transaction went through and Ken received confirmation. But it's then, he says, he realized he had made an error. Ken had accidentally typed in the wrong dates. And, and this wasn't intentionally for me to do that mistake. It was just an accidental thing. Ken reached out to Expedia right away, but says he couldn't get through until the next day. He says he was instructed to call the hotel, but because he booked through a third-party site, he was redirected back to Expedia. So Ken called again and requested Expedia move the booking to the correct dates in August, but Ken says he was denied. This was a mistake, and I'm going to be going in August, so can you just, you know, take the, the amount I paid and put it towards... Uh, August's event and, and they says well we can't do that. 
Ken was out over $200. It was a non-refundable booking. He had purchased the extra travel cancellation insurance through Expedia at checkout, but was later informed his travel cancellation insurance policy doesn't have a change-of-mind benefit or coverage for errors made on the booking. He was now forced to pay for his trip again. I felt really upset and angry and I felt I was taken advantage of. Consumer Matters reached out to Expedia on Ken's behalf explaining what happened and days later Ken was refunded $256.59 plus a $50 voucher for future travel. Expedia apologizing for the frustration and confusion. It's important to remember that when booking on third-party travel sites, cheaper rates can sometimes mean non-refundable rates, which is why Ken says he'll be extra careful the next time he makes an online booking. And one thing to add, when you book directly with a hotel, you can take advantage of their hotel loyalty programs and get access to other perks like upgrades and hotel member rates. And many hotels will sometimes match the price you found online through a third-party site should you deal with a hotel directly. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Good work. Thank you, Anne. No doubt. All right, up next, the lightning-fast fall of Afghanistan. People are a fight. The Taliban making promises women know the new government won't keep. But first, tense moments on the federal election campaign trail as Liberal leader Justin Trudeau runs into some anti-vaxxers. High above Coquitlam, where they're still cleaning up the beer here on uh, Lowheat Highway eastbound, just near Colony Farm. The right lane is blocked, only the far left lane is getting by, and traffic is heavily backed up as a result. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a bunch of beer in Coquitlam. On the federal election campaign trail, all party leaders have now hit the road making their pitch to Canadians. Top issues including mandatory vaccinations and the crisis in Afghanistan. Global's Matthew Bingley has more. During a brew pub north of Toronto, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau received a much warmer reception than he experienced earlier at another Toronto area stop. Shouted at by anti-vaxxers, Trudeau responded by asking them to get their shots. Earlier, he was forced to clarify why a government document allowing alternative measures to federal workers who refuse vaccines was quietly removed from a government website. That letter was erroneous and didn't reflect government policy, so it was brought down by the public servants. The Conservatives are calling for an investigation. Mr. Trudeau should just just be honest and... and maybe say he made a mistake. Taking time from wooing voters with the expansion of $10 a day child care, Trudeau again focused on vaccines for federal workers. If anyone who doesn't have a legitimate medical reason for not getting fully vaccinated chooses to not get vaccinated, there will be consequences. Where Trudeau stopped short of laying out what those could be, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh did not. In places where we know that it would put people at risk and it's vital to get vaccinated, then uh, they would not be able to continue working in those places. The first
first leader to visit BC. Singh was pitching expansions for manufacturing, including PPE, before attending a virtual nomination meeting. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole on the road for the first time during the campaign. But unlike other leaders who have faced hecklers in public, O'Toole has stuck to hotels for his events. Great to be together. This is the largest crowd I've had as leader. Earlier, he made his pitch for a GST tax break for December. And I want to see more of these toys in homes this holiday season. December is going to be the end of a very difficult year for Canada. While each leader is appealing to voters' pocketbooks, the devolving situation in Afghanistan, as well as Canada's response to it, has been drawing time away from each campaign. Matthew Bingley, Global News. And there are mounting concerns over the future of the Afghan people following the chaotic and disorganized withdrawal of U.S. government officials. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more on what happens in a country that appears unable to protect itself. There's a new reality playing out in Afghanistan. The country is sinking further into turmoil with the Taliban now firmly in place and mounting questions about how that happened with such ease. People are horrified uh, since they entered similarly in 1996. Life is changing fast as freedoms are replaced with restrictions. Businesses that once catered to women are closing. They are being guaranteed rights, but under Islamic law and human rights activists in the country are concerned. Their leadership says one thing, the foot soldiers are doing another thing. The Taliban is now a de facto government again, declaring Afghanistan emancipated, urging people to stay and serve their country, offering amnesty to those who served foreign militaries, but without details. There's a lot of groups that go way beyond the interpreters and the Western friends. They'll be a pariah state if they behave the way they did in the late 90s. Evacuations remain a primary focus. Flights carrying diplomats and Afghan refugees have landed in Canada. There will be more than approximately 4,000 troops on the ground in Kabul. Well, the U.S. will use its military to remove at least 9,000 people per day. The Taliban have committed to a clear passage to the airport, but that doesn't help those outside Kabul in what continues to be an exit plan facing intense criticism as abandonment and how that could be viewed. You don't want Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping or Kim Jong-un to get the wrong idea. Even well-drawn plans don't survive first contact with reality, and they require adjustments. 20 years and $2 trillion later, there is no return on investment. Only questions about an apparent intelligence failure to how fast Afghanistan would fall and whether it will again become a repressed nation acting as a safe harbor to those wishing to do harm. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. In health matters, U.S. officials are expected to recommend COVID-19 vaccine booster shots for most Americans. The announcement is expected to be made as early as this week, once the FDA formally approves the rollout. Those who are eligible would be looking to get boosters eight months after their second dose. The goal is to ensure lasting protection against the virus as the Delta variant spreads across the country. Up next, check out this new look for the BC flag. The flag that was never meant to be a flag. The artist behind it shares her inspiration. And what a finish for the circle of hope. An epic adventure ends in False Creek to wipe out childhood cancer. You're watching Global News Hour at 6.
A group of teenage activists is targeting TD Bank over its support of the Enbridge Line 3 pipeline expansion. Protesters displaying banners and painting a mural on the sidewalk outside the bank's downtown Vancouver offices. They're demanding TD divest from the $2.3 billion project. The 1,700-kilometer pipeline is expected to start operation within the next two months, transporting 760,000 barrels of Alberta oil sands crude daily to refineries in Minnesota. We're in a climate crisis right now. Um, you can see uh, even on Friday, it was we had this huge heat wave um, all last week, and it was covered in smoke. So I guess it's just really weird for me as a young person. I look around and, like... It kind of feels like the world's on fire right now, but nothing's, nothing's happening and we're still funding these pipelines. In the U.S., more than 600 people have been arrested at a series of protests along the pipeline route. British Columbians are becoming keenly aware of the impacts of climate change. Another wicked fire season. And uh, let's see if we get any more relief in this weather from Christy, who's got the forecast for us. Christy? Thanks, Chris. So I thought I'd start things off with a quick look at a video from last night in the Kamloops area. A lot of people breathing a sigh of relief as they saw the rain come down. And it wasn't only in the Kamloops region. We saw it in many other parts. So here's a look. We saw anywhere from 10 to about 18 millimeters in the Ashcroft area. Kelowna, not very much. And certainly south of Kelowna, uh, nothing at all. North of Clinton, nor uh, n- nothing either. But a wide swath getting some. I want you to understand, though, this is over a 12-hour period. And when we talk talk about rain. Not all rain is equal when it comes to the fire situation. So rain in a short period actually means that you'll get runoff and less moisture to actually um, get into the dry fuels. What is better is actually to have that rainfall happen over a longer period of time. So a light drizzle or a light rain is actually less likely to run off and result in and can result in a reduced fire behavior over a number of days. So although yesterday was or last night was a relief, it wasn't quite significant enough. Today we did have cooler conditions, a high of only 17 degrees, nine degrees below seasonal for this time of year. Tomorrow's going to warm up, but only too near seasonal. We're not going to see a surge of heat, and we don't expect that over the next seven days. There's your fire weather index, so we are going to see it increase again tomorrow, but at least we're not going to see a huge surge. Nonetheless, that uh, rain and cooler conditions certainly helped but only a little. We need more of that, certainly, to really make an impact. Here's a look at the south coast area. So sunshine tomorrow. We may see a bit of haze. We're expecting widespread smoke in areas like Osuyus and and Kelowna. Two days of sunshine here, though, before a chance of showers pushes in on Friday. Here's tonight's central windows weather window, which is from the Glen Rosa area, looking towards the fire there. Thanks to Kimberly for that one. Too close for comfort. Thanks, Christy. Well, it's been a long 10 days, but this afternoon, two travelers came home to Vancouver following an epic journey to help fight childhood cancer. Alex Blodgett and Paul Player paddled their kayak into Falls Creek to complete their circle of hope. The fundraiser raised $1.1 million over 10 days for pediatric cancer research. The two men biked, hiked, and paddled over 370 kilometers around BC, all to help the kids. As parents, I think all of us will certainly understand the angst and uncertainty that comes from a child who has a cancer prognosis. And, you know, no child should have to suffer through um, cancer. And 
uh, you know, miss the opportunity to do what Paul and I have just done in you know, the last seven, seven, ten days. It was a great event for a great cause, and we hope that the donating continues through weeks and months to come. Every dollar raised supports BC Cancer Research into how immune therapy can help children have fewer side effects and less toxicity in their cancer treatments. Well done, guys. Good trip. Mm-hmm. All right, let's bring in Squire now for a look ahead to sports. Yes. Uh, so BC Lions quarterback Michael Riley was today named the uh, player of the week for his game last Thursday against Calgary. A great game despite not practicing at all before it. Not many guys can literally not practice very much and still be able to, to be that effective. Well, apparently Michael Riley can, and the Lions will be careful with him at practice this week, so his tender elbow is ready for Edmonton on Thursday. Also tonight, the artist giving BC's flag a First Nations makeover. Her inspiration for the design later. Countdown to football coming back to BC Place is on. Yeah, and soccer too. Mm-hmm. All this week. It's all coming back. It is all coming back. Sort of becoming normal. It's all coming again. back to me now. Isn't that a song? <laughs> Probably is. And if it shouldn't be, it will be someday. <laughs> or if it isn't, it should be. Something like that. Uh, so practice makes perfect. That's what they always say. But despite that, no practice isn't exactly the opposite. If you're good, sometimes you don't need the practice. Because of a sore elbow the last two weeks, the only thing Lions quarterback Michael Riley was practicing was standing around and talking to people. But when he played against Calgary last Thursday, he led BC to a win and was so good in that game, he was named the CFL's Player of the Week. Riley up behind the big line, pushing ahead, and Michael Riley is in for the touchdown. Not only was Michael Riley's effort against the Stampeders one of the grittiest of his playing career, it was also one of the most unexpected. Riley scoring the game's only touchdown and went 26 of 33 for 342 yards to earn the CFL's top performer of the week honors. Oh, and did we mention? He barely threw a football all week at practice leading up to last week's game. Yeah, we were laughing about it. Mike talked about how earlier in his career he should have figured out that... Um, he didn't need to practice all this much. It's, it's not easy to do. Not many guys can literally not practice very much and still be able to, to be that effective. So, Heading into week three in the Lions home opener on Thursday, Riley is getting his hands on the football more often. He's increased his practice reps and his sore arm appears to be getting better. He's also chuckled aloud about being the CFL's Allen Iverson and not caring too much for practice. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm the last guy to do that. I love practice, actually. It's been... Uh, I mean, it's been very challenging mentally throughout training camp and over the course of the first couple of weeks of the season not to be able to practice as much as I, as I want to. Normally, I take just about all the reps. Here's the thing. Riley was still taking all the reps just in his head. The guy knows the Lions' playbook page for page and is a constant student of the game. He's also been cramming football religiously over the last 18 months and has a strong working relationship with Lions offensive coordinator Jordan McKismick. McKismick and Riley working side-by-side side back in their Edmonton days. 
yeah, there's there's a high comfort level, and, and even the things that are a little bit new, with, with the time off in 2020, we spent a lot of time talking about it and and watching film on things like that. So so the stuff that that, that we are doing that is a little bit new still, he's he's had a lot of time to think about it and, and watch the film on it. There's really no substitute for practice, so I'm obviously uh, looking forward to the time where you know we can up the the work during the week. But for now, we're just trying to to make it work as best we can. Bad news for Abbotsford's Chase Claypool. He went down with a left leg injury at the end of a pass play at Pittsburgh Steelers practice today and had to be helped off the field. However, the Steelers have said maybe it's not as bad as we first thought. It's an ankle injury, but it is just a minor sprain. So that's great news for all involved. Last year as a rookie, Claypool surprised everybody in the NFL by finishing with the 10th most receiving touchdowns. He had nine including four in one game against Philadelphia, although I think one of those was a running touchdown. Uh, what shocked people the most is how quickly Claypool became a favorite target of quarterback Ben Roethlisberger on a team that had a number of good receivers to throw to. And the Seattle Seahawks have made Jamal Adams the highest-paid safety in the NFL by giving him a four-year deal worth $70 million. $38 million of that is guaranteed money. Now, Adams always knew he was going to eventually get paid by the Seahawks because they traded two first-round draft choices to the Jets to get him last year. He has been at Seahawks training camp the whole time, but he hasn't done any drills. He was basically waiting until he got his money. Now, the position of safety can be multifaceted. It's not just to help break up passes. The Seahawks use Jamal Adams a lot for rushing the quarterback, and no safety does it better than him. Last year, he had a nine and a half sacks. He now has the most quarterback sacks by a defensive back in history before the age of 30. He's only 25, so he is in his prime years right now. Well, like the BC Lions, this is the week the Vancouver Whitecaps get their first BC place game in front of fans in 2021. It's going to happen Saturday, 7 o'clock. It might be the first time we see Ryan Gold start a game. He's been coming off the bench and will likely again tomorrow when the Whitecaps visit Austin, which starts at 6 o'clock our time, so the pregame show is 5 o'clock on AM 730. Getting back to gold, he hasn't played a lot since his arrival, but all the Whitecaps, I mean the players, like what they have seen so far. Um, you know, obviously, it's always was always going to take a few weeks for him to, to get to full fitness. I think his, his, you know, his season ended back in May. So um, the more we see of him every day, I think the more impressed everybody is. He's, um, yeah, great, great guy. Great addition for the club. Um, like I said, both, both as a player and as a person. The Abbotsford Canucks have signed Alex Connick-Leapert, who was the Vancouver Giants captain for the last two seasons. He's not afraid to hit people. And at 21, well, who knows? If he does well, he might get a chance down the road with the uh, Vancouver Canucks. The Abbey Canucks should have a very good defense this year, and Canock-Leapert uh, will be the youngest of the Blue Liners. And there are sources that say the NHL will soon be like the NBA and allow each team to put a sponsor logo on its uniform starting in 2022-23. It can be only three inches, a rectangle advertisement. The NBA allowed one sponsor logo on its jerseys back in 2017. It's a rather easy way for these teams to make a little extra money. Okay, I wonder who will Will buy in. Well, they need it. Let's be honest. A long time off for the revenue coming in, right? Joe's Pizza Parlor. Yeah. 
All right, up next, reimagining BC's flag, how one artist's sketch is sparking a lot of interest. Well, we really are going to run this up the flagpole and see who salutes. A First Nations artist is getting a lot of attention for her redesign of the BC flag. Luann Neal says she took on the project just for fun. And while she doesn't see it replacing the current flag yet, she says she's happy about the conversations her work has started. Catherine Urquhart reports. BC's flag has been flying since 1960. Before then, we didn't even have one. Now, a slightly different version, created by an Indigenous artist, is getting plenty of reaction. I think it's pretty. I think it looks nice. <laughs> I like the original. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I like it's it. Good. This is Luann Neal's reinterpretation of the BC flag. So I wanted the, the sun, because the sun sets on this coast, I want it to be a real feature of the design. And so what I created was what we would normally see as an eye, uh, the shapes that would be associated with an eye. There are some additions. And then I wanted the different um, shapes to just give a little bit more motion to the sun rays. Perhaps surprisingly, nothing has been removed, notably the crown. In the crown, I put some more of the uh, what we call ovoids, and I may actually made them so they attach to one another. And the idea here was um, the past, present and future, and that we're all standing side by side. Luann says she hopes her design sparks a conversation. So I wasn't intending on proposing that we change the flag right now. I wasn't even proposing that my design should be considered. It was really when I got done and when I posted it, I thought, there, that ought to start a discussion. After posting her reimagined flag on social media, many people said they loved it. I'm a big fan of the Indigenous art and I really like how it's become more inclusive of, of course, our entire society. Now the flag shop is hoping to do a limited run of Luann's version of the BC flag with proceeds going to charity, including residential school survivors. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. She's just a lovely human being. So sweet. Wishing her uh, the best success in her career. All right, that's all the time we have tonight. Thanks very much for watching, everyone. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night, all.